0: Thanks, Dave. Who's excited to hear what I'm going to preach? (laughs) This morning, I didn't realise this to afterwards, but afterwards people went, we wondered what on earth you were going to do with that. Well, this is what I'm going to do with that. As you may know, we have had some fence issues at the Mayhew residence and a little while ago a storm saw to it that half of our side fence fell over. It literally fell over which was wonderful because we had a much bigger backyard, but the neighbors didn't quite see it that way. And so we got some people in to quote a new fence and the quote came with this um, allowance that if we demolished the fence and got rid of it, then we would save a bunch of money. It was a no brainer, right? Who doesn't like demolition? So I'm like, absolutely, I'm onto it. It's 18 meters long. And the first day, I take out the first panel, It was two panels down, so I take out another panel, and then I'm looking at this post, because you may not realise it, but fences are put together by posts. And those posts are concreted into the ground. It was 600 mil of concrete. I had this horrible, horrible feeling. What have I committed myself to? Two. Anyway, me and my six-year-old sidekick Hamish, along with many different saws and many different hammers, set to demolishing it and completely ripping it out. It took about six hours all up. We didn't do it a six-hour streak, but about six hours all up, and that's not including the five and a half hour trip and wait at the hospital when Hamish claims a fence paling attacked him. I'm not sure that's what went down. But after I'd won. We destroyed this fence. All the posts, the, the, um, the gates were gone. There was this sense of victory. The first thing I did was call my dad. My dad's down in, in Melbourne and I called him and I said, and I'd never called him about like this sort of thing before. I said, Dad, I just want to thank you because everything I just learnt and did in this project was because I saw you do similar things when I was growing up. And what I saw you do and what you enabled me to be part of, I got to then do, and then my little boy got to see and be part of that. And maybe one day, he'll call me and say, Dad, you're the best dad ever. You taught me so much cool stuff, and I'm making a massive difference in this world. Things are imparted to us that we don't realise until it's time for them to surface. I didn't know I had the skills and the ability to... Knock this down until it was required of me, and then I discovered that it had been previously imparted to me for such a time as this. Now, seven weeks ago, you may recall, in fact, you probably do, you probably remember it word for word, what I preached on. Does any totally do you want to just run us through? Just we'll take 30 minutes, but just (laughs) no, that was that was a good one, though, wasn't it? Yeah, no, that was like eight weeks ago, that was eight weeks ago. Um, but I talked about we stepped into the story of Joshua. And I spent some time on Joshua 1, 9. And Joshua 1, 9 says this. It's God speaking to Joshua when he's scared witless. He's looking at the Jordan River. Canaan's on the other side. It's the land God promised. And he's like, are you kidding? And God says this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. They're words that actually echo Jesus' final words. They were words that kick-started this incredible journey for Joshua, who would dare to follow the Ark of the Covenant into the flooded Jordan River, and it stopped flowing. He walked through on dry ground. They walked around Jericho, and as they walked around in their worship, the city of Jericho fell down And then they advanced up the road to the city of Ai, and they took that. And then today, as we heard from Dave, that's, it's, it's the conquering of Canaan. They've dethroned the five kings in what's a little bit of a theologically ambiguous situation that we're not going to quite get into today, but we may cover a little bit later on with all the gory details. But there's this, this pivotal moment in the reading where Joshua calls on everything that had been imparted to him and he offers it to his people. Did you hear it? It was 10.25. Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord your God will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. God's saying that to us today. He's saying that to you. Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And not just about this church thing, but anything. Now those enemies, they were to fight. Amongst those enemies, there was a heavyweight. There was a heavyweight that was sort of an unfathomable uh, uh, opponent. They were fierce and they were powerful and they were deceptive and they were very hard to beat and to topple and to go to war against. In fact, the Israelites needed all the courage and all the strength that God would give them to go against this enemy and it was the enemy of idolatry that was the greatest but greatest challenge and greatest enemy that the Israelite people faced the thing that constantly pervaded the Israelite nation was their insatiable need to worship they just needed to worship but to fill that need they didn't go to God all the time they went to all sorts of other things so attractive and alluring are false idols that we need God's strength and God's courage to defeat them, to dethrone them, to overthrow them in our lives. Now, last week, I spoke about how we need to set ourselves apart from idols. Anyone remember the word I used? Consecrate. Consecrate. Consecrate means to set yourself apart from something. And the instruction to the Israelite people was set yourself apart from anything that, is not, that causes you not to be devoted to God. And so people would consecrate themselves, they would set themselves apart so that they could be ready for the things God had for them. And I really hope you've taken it seriously. I know I flicked out the the audio of that. I really hope that as a community, because it is a team game, that, that we are taking that seriously. Because the greatest enemy that we face when we come to merge... Next week, when it all happens, when we come together, our greatest enemy is nothing in the community and it's nothing within our new church. It's within our hearts. That is the greatest enemy we will face. It's that insatiable appetite in us to worship something other than Jesus. That's what will topple us. That's what will make it difficult. That's what will bring a a sense of intimidation from other spiritual Forces. Now, those idols, whatever they are, and for there's an array of them. Obviously, for each of us, they lie to us to get our attention and to get our affection. And that lie sounds like one of two things. I reckon for our community, I think there's two lies we're being told at the moment, and I want to surface them. And for this morning congregation, I felt it was a two different lies. But I think we need to be really aware and spiritually sensitive. To this the first lie is that we can go in saying we know more about how to reach our community than they do we'll show them that is the first lie that if we carry in we will hold we will lose sight of what jesus wants for us because we can't get our sight off ourselves and how good we are or we think we are that's the first lie and then the second lie is that we, we think that we, we could think that they are too tied to religious things and we need to help them find a better way. And that is feeding this, this idol. It breeds competition, it breeds rivalry, it breeds disrespect. And it says to Jesus, please step to the side, I've got this. Because I know, I know how it should be. Neither of those lies enable the kingdom of God to come. Neither of those lies facilitate God's will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. Because those lies are whispered to us to win our hearts away from what God wants for us. We can follow the lies or we can follow Jesus. We cannot follow both. It was John the evangelist that that preached to his community these same things. He was so desperate that they grabbed hold of the idea that they were forgiven by grace that that jesus had died on the cross for them that they had a new identity that they were fine with god now that that he builds into this story in first john chapter five as he's convincing them you're okay with god god is all you need and he finishes his entire letter this is the sign off it doesn't even go like from john like this is the last line of the whole letter he says dear children It was this affectionate term. My kids, guard yourself from idols. Boosh. Drops the mic. Done. Guard yourself from idols. It was pretty important as they were trying to work out who Jesus was and how to follow Jesus, just like us. Mike Pilevacci said the same thing, only differently just the other day. He said, we can either seek the security of a structure or the security of a relationship. If we are truly a pilgrim people, the security of a structure will never satisfy. Our tr- only true security is our relationship with Jesus. Seek him and live. We have structures. Even at Village, we have structures. It may not feel like that at times, but we have plenty of structures and we put them in place and then we appreciate them and then we enjoy them and then we fall in love with them, but they cannot save us and they cannot fully satisfy us like Jesus had. And next week, our structure completely changes, entirely changes. Our first meeting of the New Church Council happens tomorrow night. One of the things we're going to be talking about is how do we do this whole thing? Like, gosh, wow, how exciting. And it's scary, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and it's uncomfortable, and it's meant to be. Because we're meant to be in a space that says, God, give me your strength and your courage. I need it. I need it. Because I want, I want to place my security in a relationship with Jesus, not a relationship with the church or with a structure or with anything else. So let me finish with a story that just lands all of this. There was a art collector who um, had amassed many um, works of art from Leonardo, uh, not DiCaprio, (laughs) Da Vinci, (laughs) Da Vinci. And, and Monet, and, um, and, and, and the list goes on, and he was just prolific. And he gradually taught his son to, to do this. And as, as his wife passed away, he became more and more um, keen to impart this wisdom to his son. And so they would fill their house, their large house, and they filled it with incredible, priceless pieces of work that they would invite friends around to appreciate, that they would sit and discuss and then war came to that land, and the son was asked, was drafted into the war, and so he had to go to war. And several months after going to war, he was killed. He was shot by a bullet, and he died. Um, and the telegram, telegram came um, to the, the father, the art collector, and he was just devastated. His son had died. It was just before Christmas, and the prospect of living through Christmas without his son was almost unbearable. So Christmas Day approached, and with it, a knock on the door. And on the other side of the door was a young man who had been a friend to his son in the uh, military. And he said, can I come in? I'd I'd like to talk with you just a few minutes about your son. And so they sat around the kitchen table, and he put the parcel that he had on the table. And the the young man started to tell the art collector, the father, all the wonderful things that his son had done. That even though he'd lost his life rescuing someone, it wasn't the first person he'd rescued and dragged to safety, and that he was had a prolific uh, presence, just this expression of what human life looks like in its brilliance, working in the in the the, the horror of war. And as he's sharing these stories, the father, his his grief is getting is, is getting restored, and is is getting. There's a sense of like this this cushions some of that loss that he was feeling and then then the, the young man finished he said i am um, i actually went to art school and i am not i'm not up to par with any of these incredible works of art but i i painted a portrait of your son and i have it for you and he unrolled the portrait on the table and the, the father was blown away was blown away and so he put it in the very prime position of the house the middle of the lounge room above the fireplace and he framed it and he had it there and he would spend hours looking at this and appreciating it and being remembered of his son it dwarfed in its brilliance all the other incredible works of art that was truly priceless anyway the art collector came to a point when he um, died he died, and because his son was also gone and his wife um, uh, had died previously, there was no one to leave his fortune to, and so he was gave instructions that it was to be auctioned off. And so the art world was abuzz with enthusiasm and excitement of, wow, how's this going to be? This is unbelievable that all these works of art are going to be available. And so they gathered in the house, and the auctioneer said, we need to start the auction by auctioning off the portrait of the son. It was a bit of a snigger that went through the place. And they said, no, no, it's just, let's get on to the real stuff. He said, no, 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 the instruction is we have to auction off this. Do I have $100? Do I have $100? And it was just silence. And one of the, the neighbours, uh, an a, a older man who was a neighbour to, to them who'd grown up, seen the boy grow up, said, I, I've only got $10. He'd just come to see what was happening. I've only got $10, but if that's enough, I'd love the portrait. Because I knew him. He says, "Do I have any raises?" And then there's a yell from the back. Just get on with it! Just get on with it! And so, so he he, he proceeded to um, to say, um, to, "Do I have? To, um, uh, uh, um, I've lost my train of thought. Like, going once, going twice, sold." And then he said, "The auction's now finished. It's done." And there was outrage. People were filthy. How could this be the case? And they started, explain yourself, this isn't isn't okay. And the auctioneer stood up and he said, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. If we have Jesus, if our hearts are truly set on Christ, if we have placed our security in Jesus, we have nothing to lose, but everything to gain. My prayer is that you would trust God enough in this new thing that we're doing, that you would become, you would continue to be regular, this would be life, and as we'd engage, and we'd make new friends, and we'd reach out, and we'd expand our hearts to those who we wouldn't normally find ourselves in a position to have to because of the truth that we've been talking about the last seven weeks, that we are better together. We are better together. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we do, wanna, do not want to go forward unless we are following you. And so lead us forward. help us dethrone the idols in our lives help us put aside things that are competing interests of our devotion to you that lord we might we might know you in a new and powerful and fresh way that we might be part of something amazing and wonderful in this place and you might prepare our hearts, you will continue to prepare our hearts for the wonderful things you are going to do here. So, Lord, we pray these things in your almighty name. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Amen.